0: That Naturopathic Podcast, (laughs) TNP. Hello
1: there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Cara Dionisio.
0: And I'm Dr. David Miller, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you.
1: This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health.
0: This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine but you definitely don't feel very well.
1: This show is for
0: you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan. This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you but no one is really putting it all together.
1: This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of health care. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it.
0: And we want you to know it.
1: Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you need to know about.
0: focused vision of improving health outcomes with the use of high quality naturopathic doctor designed supplements is 100% in alignment with what we're trying to do here at the podcast their enthusiasm for supporting what we're trying to do for you the listener encourages us to keep producing content that will inform and inspire thanks again to our sponsor Cytomatrix Canada okay welcome to another episode of that naturopathic podcast I'm back with my relatively new co-host Dr. Michelle how are you doing Michelle
1: I'm doing well. It's nice to nice to be part of the team.
0: Yeah, we're a good team. I think I can team. say it already. Yeah. Um, it's nice to be able to interact with people for me too, because I'm in, I'm in COVID quarantine. I'm in a infested house right now.
1: For reals?
0: I am. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's crazy.
1: <What's... laughs> are you okay? Are, are, how are you feeling?
0: Great. Yeah? I feel great. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Not actually all our kids have it. Mm-hmm. The girlfriends have it, and uh, my wife and I can't seem to get it, even though we're kissy face with our little boy who's like five months old. So of course I'm kissing his face nonstop. Yeah. I can't seem to get it. What's going on with you?
1: Um, not in quarantine, living life,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, I don't know, just really looking forward to the holidays coming up. Uh-huh. Yeah. I feel like I took, I, I, I usually work through the holidays, but this, this year I took time off between Christmas and New Year's. Yes. And I was like, that's, that's much needed.
0: You need to do it.
1: Yeah. So I'm very excited to have like a full week to just, I don't know, do whatever it need, needs to come in the day, you know, nice. and just not have a plan and a schedule.
0: Yeah. The schedule, the, the, uh, the entrepreneur thing, you got to keep working, right? You feel guilty, guilty if you don't keep working. So
1: that's it. And I feel like I will be working, like I'll probably be trying to develop something or create something, but it's just, it'll be nice to just have more space to have the the creativity and just hopefully flow a little bit better when I'm more relaxed and not feeling like I'm all over the place, but, uh, but yeah.
0: You mean like the advice we give patients all the time.
1: Yeah. That stuff. Yeah. You know, I do, you know, I am one of those people who likes to practice what she preaches. I, yeah. You know, call me crazy, but I feel like I like to lead by example. So <laughs> Good
0: for you, it's, uh, it's not easy to do in this profession. Um, but Hey, well, let's, let's stop chat. We could chat forever. And that's part of why we have fun together. But listen, we're going to talk about, we were talking about what to talk about. And, um, I, I thought it would be crazy to not talk once you brought it up to not talk about irritable bowel syndrome or IBS. Yeah, kind of makes she's, sense for us to chat about it, eh?
1: She's a heck of a syndrome to mm-hmm. to deal with. It's a heck of a syndrome, but totally. uh, yeah do you want to
0: talk about what do you want to talk about? Because um, let's be honest, you have um, you've got some like firsthand experience. Yeah.
1: I mean, I suffered from what you would classically call IBS. Um, but I stand firm knowing what I know now that IBS is a bullshit diagnosis and I'll proudly say that (laughs) it's a bullshit diagnosis because it's usually a composition of many things and it's a breakdown in function and likely more than one moving part that creates digestion. And it's often addressed as if it's a singular issue and that's crap. And yeah. I find um, it's misleading, almost, to be like, "Oh, it's IBS." People are like, "Well, actually, you have low stomach acid. Your liver's not functioning. You have ileocecal valve issues. You have a microbial issue. You have food sensitivities. You have low stomach acid. You're no, stressed. that's
0: too complicated, Michelle.
1: Right? It's too complicated. Yeah. So I I stand by the accusation that it's a bullshit diagnosis. And I only know that now because I went through it and I had to peel back all the layers.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, I, I say trash can diagnosis, um, same idea. But I, I was telling you earlier, like, I love to write it on my chart because often I'll I'll write it on people's chart because uh, it's a way of communicating. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a very, very broad sort of assessment. But um, often we don't know what's causing IBS. So I will, you know, on one hand, I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth, I guess, because I'm, I'm saying, okay, IBS is a bit of a trash can diagnosis, but it does narrow down a little bit of what people are, complaining of or that is conventionally or whatever known as ibs but on the other hand i'm like why the hell is this person having ibs symptoms right just like you're saying like there could be a structural part there could be stomach acid there could be other reasons so yeah and uh, we're gonna we might have different views on this so i'm gonna warn our listeners um we might have like a little bit different views a lot of more similar views i'm sure but we're also going to maybe come at it a little bit different that's the benefit of having two people discussing it totally totally yeah Okay. So someone comes uh, to you with IBS, mm-hmm. what's your first thought?
1: Um, it's not just first thought, but I'm always going to talk about their stress. I'm always mm-hmm. going to talk about their sleep. I'm going to talk about their energy. I'm going to talk about what stresses them out and how they handle it mm-hmm. and their mood. Because <clears throat> mm-hmm. how you interact with the world. Okay. So like, I always like to see it this way. If you have a hard time digesting the world around you, you're probably going to have a hard time digesting the world inside of you
0: as above so below
1: as above so below so that's a really par- important part of my you know investigation yes and we're going to talk about what the poops look like so i can get a better understanding is Please it do. are there fat issues happening is it floating is it sinking is it damp is there fiber you know and and we're going to go through what their diet looks like are they eating enough fiber are they eating enough veggies are they eating carbs all day every day right so we're going to go through the basics because i think that foundational work is extremely important regardless of whether you have microbial issues you still have to have that foundational work do you mm-hmm. drink water <laughs> are you eating mm-hmm. while you're running to work
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. like
1: all that stuff and i find that it's often quite brushed brushed over at least And I think in a lot of people's minds, like I developed an IBS program at my clinic specifically because I, it takes time to work through the layers of stuff. And there's more than one area that has to be addressed. And I personally want to educate people about the different moving parts of the digestive system, because we often forget that digestion starts in the mouse. So when we have something happening with bloating in the stomach, in the abdomen, we think it's just an intestinal issue. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we forget about, stuff happening upstream that could be leading to downstream issues. So we talk about that, but the first, the first day, and as, as I was mentioning to you is like the very first session is about stress management and how the nervous system affects digestion and how most people in modern day society are running all pistons firing and their nervous system doesn't really adequately shift into rest and digest mode when it's time Mm -hmm. to digest food. So that's a really big part. And I think that's always going to be an underlying part that has to be uh what's the word like acknowledged
0: yeah yeah it's a big one i i think uh i think it was tanya lee i was talking to our colleague tanya you know, tanya lee. Lee. i love tanya she's so great we've had her on the show she's so smart she's almost too smart so we have to like say tanya tone down the nerd a little bit uh, but anyway, she's so
1: brilliant it's yeah, honestly it's unfair great
0: clinician too like just clinician she's she's that so anyway tanya told me
1: actually when i was sorry when i was struggling heavily with my digestive issues because i hit a major breaking point with my health in general and it stemmed Mm -hmm. from my digestive health and i knew even as a clinician even with all the faculties and the knowledge and the Mm know-how i had i was like i think i need to not treat myself i had to take myself and my bias out of the equation and i saw dr tanya lee
0: Ooh. Damn. It was like, I was like, Didn't girl, see that juicy bit coming. That's like, awesome. I
1: trust you with my health. I was like, let's yeah. do this.
0: And you'd know yeah. who's good, right? You know, who's good when you're sort of good at whatever you do. You, you go to the dentist to find the best dentist. Yeah. She's great. So anyway, let's, let's, uh, my little, my little tidbit story got really, sorry you know, tangent tangential, ah. but that's awesome. That's cool. We'll talk about it another time. Um, <coughs> she, uh, she told me she got this patient, I think who was having, and we had, we can't, we cannot not bring up SIBO. She had a SIBO patient come to her and uh, which I would say grossly overlaps if you did a Venn diagram with IBS. Oh Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and she was like, she'd had all the SIBO things done anti this, anti that, you know, all the, all the, you know, the tincture of death and this and that and the other thing. And in the end she gave the woman, I think a Nervine Mm. and uh, like, she just said, you need to like, not stress you need to like just really really try and chill out a little bit and that's what that's what moved the case forward so yeah she's a great clinician and and uh just to reiterate that um you know your your emphasis on stress and and that sort of rest and digest thing is huge
1: I was having a conversation with a colleague literally earlier today, we were having the meeting and they, this person, um, is not a naturopath, but they do more bioenergetic type of Medicaid medicine and their screening with regards to the testing is always to find out how, how, how much are they firing at all speeds ahead? Like what's their stress response? And they measure it based on conductivity. And that's how it's at the nomenclature based on the, the type of testing they do. Um, and a lot of time that's that's your lifestyle factors, that's your environment, that's your stress resiliency, that's that's how you perceive the outside world and then choose to respond to it. Um, he's like, and if people the exosome,
0: not, as Dave Nelson was telling us.
1: Yeah, and if you're not willing to work on that side of yourself where he says if he tests people in three to four months down the line, they're still not getting where they need to be, he's like, You need to go work with a psychologist or an energy healer or something mm-hmm. or whatever to let go of whatever's keeping you in the stuck holding pattern. Sometimes it's your own perceived stresses sometimes we're holding on to stuff i mean like i can get more esoteric and be like transgenerational traumas that are being held on to and all sorts of stuff that gets passed down um because all of that is an added stress and it's not the tangible it's not stuff that we can grab at and lab test and bottle and whatever but it all makes such a significant impact on the body's ability to let go
0: Mm -hmm. it's hard to it's hard to uh Tell people that sometimes yeah. I find it's. I mean, sometimes it's so obvious, and maybe you get from you glean from your interaction with the patient that they they know that this is a place to talk about that. But it is sometimes difficult to talk about. And I've had people, honestly, Michelle. I mean, you live in Toronto, right? You're in Toronto area, anyway. Um, Toronto adjacent. Yeah, let's go with Toronto adjacent. Um, so you have to pronounce Toronto when you're out Toronto. when that far out of town, not Toronto. Toronto. And uh, so. So it's probably busy, busy people. Like I see enough busy people here where I live. And um, I wouldn't say we're out in the sticks, but compared to Toronto, it is. And sometimes I'm like, wow, you do like life is too busy is something I've sort of started thinking. And because I meet some really good people, they're just doing all the good things. They, they go to work, it takes some time to get ready, then you drive to work and then you drop, you know, you finish work and you drop the kids or you get the kids from school and then you go home and you do the the right dinner if you can. And then you take, you take the kids to hockey. And then the next, you know, like it's, it's, it's busy. And so sometimes I find some of that stuff is hard, immovable stuff. What do you, what do you say to people that are just like busy doing sort of good things or normal things, I guess you could say.
1: I think, I think you're very right about something that the world has just become busier and busier and more clogged with distractions and Mm -hmm. things that just keep you running, whether Mm -hmm. it's physically, emotionally, and mentally, right? Mm -hmm. And it's hard to turn off. So I usually just even tell people just to remind them to breathe. It's like, take two minutes and do box breathing, right? Low and slow. And that's it. And that's already a pause in your day that you didn't give yourself otherwise. And it doesn't require a huge time commitment to do that right? Mm-hmm. And if that's all we can do, then that's all we can do. You know, I often reference Ariana Huffington and there was a book that I read and she talks about how she used, she she's a very busy businesswoman, right? Um, And she dedicates one hour to meditation every day because she found that it did open up her body, her ability to mentally, emotionally, and physically be better at the rest of her day. Mm-hmm. Whether it's at tasks, cognitive function, emotional responses, whatever. She was more effective and more efficient. It saved her time. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to get people in that loop. So sometimes you just have to start with, like, okay, take two minutes at the beginning of your day and two minutes at the end of your day.
0: You know, mm-hmm. then it's just, at least something. that's just
1: where you start, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um,
1: what about you? Like, what's your recommendation?
0: Well, I try and listen. It's, it's it's one of those things you don't maybe know when you first come out of school though too, right? It's, it's kind of like a, a life, experience wisdom that you start to start to sort of understand more where people are coming from and and then i try and look through um through that perspective uh like okay how how much time are they like sort of wasting say for example like i i remember this really busy woman and she she was like busy doing good things she's kind of 80 adhd kind of woman she's really cool does you know plans her meals works out like crazy loves her job whatever but it's like Go go go, and then she would spend I think forty five or sixty minutes, maybe on her phone at night, mm-hmm. and that was the, that was the thing that, that you had to change. Uh, other people, I don't know. It's 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 so unique, person by person. Yeah. It's so individualized, yeah. right? These
1: days, but, I'm a lot of people. I'm like turn off the news.
0: How about that?
1: <laughs> That's a big Honestly, one these days. Turn off well, the we, news. We
0: interviewed. So, Karen um, and I interviewed. Uh, naturopath uh Björndel, christina Mm. Björndel, who had lots of uh history with like suicidal depression like heavy 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 stuff and she said one of the things she had to do as a sort of deal for herself going forward was turn off the news Mm. because if she listened to the news her mental state it was horrible and i think it's just firing up your limbic system and and fear 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 so anyway we're not we're not trying to get political here this is just our environment our exosome again as dave uh nelson taught us about um if you choose to expose yourself to that input you better to expose yourself to like reading a book or whatever i don't know it's very individualized I'm, I'm, i got i guess I'm, i i slipped out of your question sorry no not very at all. individualized
1: it is individualized i mean i find something simple like just breathe because i just yeah and that chills out your vagus nerve, and everyone has to breathe, but maybe if you more consciously breathe in that moment and take that moment, just connect with yourself more and have that quiet, your brain gets a tiny little pause and so does your nervous system and it directly impacts your vagus nerve, which is part of your parasympathetic nervous response which supports yeah. your digestion. So I'm a big believer in that or other things that improve vagus nerve, like take a cold shower, hum, chant, sing, laugh, all those things. Mm-hmm. Right. I think people just need to laugh more in general.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like laughing yoga. Ever seen laughing yoga?
1: No, I've seen. It's amazing.
0: Okay. That would make me laugh, but laughing yoga I've seen, or like maybe I'm, I'm probably doing like some cultural appropriation or whatever, something Whatever. I I saw some video of this laughing yoga is what I'm going to call it. And basically someone just starts fake laughing. And it becomes infectious. And basically in the end, everyone just starts laughing their asses off. And it's so good for you. And we need a little bit more laughing these days. But yeah, it was like, it was a massive gathering, I think in India uh, that I saw some, some coverage of and got someone just fake laughs to start it off. And everyone's laughing their ass off by the end. It's amazing.
1: Joy is (laughs) contagious. Yeah, joy is in in a good way, contagious in a good way. It
0: spreads virally. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Trigger words.
0: <laughs> uh, no, got that Facebook. Got that. Picked us up on that one. <laughs> anyway, we just got tagged for some COVID tag, didn't we? On yeah. something, and, had, we, ta- and then, we tagged on something that had nothing to do with anything. Not things one word was crazy. brought up on there. Yeah, the world yeah. is a very
1: interesting place these days. But I so would. So we're just her- gonna
0: bring it up. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So we're just not going to shy from it now, but, but just get back to our, our, cause you and I just get reel it back in, things.
0: Dave, Sorry. reel it
1: back in. Um, the, the, so, so just going back to IBS, I just find that. I like the idea of Ayurvedic medicine where it says all disease starts in the mind and then it enters the gut and then they have a chain of command at how it like permeates the rest of the physical being.
0: Mm-hmm. And I
1: very much believe that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I feel like. Finding ways to, like honor this in a better way, the head in a better way, and then the nervous system that will help digestive function as well as the listeners only when
0: when Michelle was saying this, she was pointing to her head.
1: I'm sorry, I forget because I know <laughs> we're doing it on Zoom, too, so I yeah, anyways, yeah, my head. so so in the mind, but in the emotions, I just feel like it's such a it's I cannot stress it enough, especially in this day and age. And I think, I don't think a lot of people really appreciate or understand how much they're probably running on fumes or just really pushing themselves because yeah, you're scrolling on Instagram lying in your bed, but it's still creating a nervous system response because of whatever you're looking at or, you know, and I just, I'm not sure. I, I, I feel like now I'm going to start rambling, but I just feel like it is such a bigger deal than people realize. And it has such a major impact on your digestive system.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, let's just say gut brain connection is massive. And I I think it's fairly well understood now, even conventionally, I I would say naturopaths could take some credit for pushing that, um, uh, sort of insight to the frontier of what's more, I guess, conventionally known. Um, I would say you can have things that start in the mind and then affect your gut, or you can have, like, say, things that start in the gut and affect your mind, and then it just becomes this loop, and it's really hard to know often where to go, I would say. As a newer clinician, I found it more difficult. Now, I'll be honest, I just, I start with the gut, because it's easier, Mm. (laughs) you know, like the mind is a crazy place. I mean, I know mine is crazy at times. I know, you know, like the people I love, I'm sometimes looking, I'm like, what is going on in your mind? Like minds are crazy. Uh, so I, I put my hands on people's guts cause it's, it's, it's a little more grounded for me. And, and then um, I, I, I usually tell people, look, I, I, I'm not going to take away your anxiety or whatever, like your trauma or whatever, but if I can take off like 10, 15, Percent of the heat that's coming back from sort of nasty, no susceptive feedback from your gut into the n- central nervous system, man, you're gonna it might be like this the opposite of the straw that broke the camel's back. Like taking a bit of heat off the gut takes some heat off the mind. And again, that's just the way I work because I find minds crazy.
1: Well, totally. No, but when I say like mind from an diabetic perspective, I also include just like stress management in there, yeah. right? Because it is a perception thing, right? Yeah. Um, but I, but, but I don't, I also don't disagree with you because like the gut and the brain are bi-directional. It's not just a one-way highway. Yeah. You fix one
0: up a little bit. You're going to provide right. benefits. I was,
1: listening to a, um, I was listening to a podcast, maybe it was with Dr. Mark Hyman, uh, but there was a psychologist on there who was saying if somebody is dealing with anxiety, she almost inevitably takes them off of gluten because gluten causing leaky gut mm-hmm. leads to leaky brain. And now there's research to show there's such a directional relationship between leaky gut and leaky brain mm-hmm. and leaky brain is going to show up with like mood disorders, cognitive disorders, neurological disorders. So by working on the gut level first, you do impact that. So I think mm-hmm. there's something to be said, like, I, I don't disagree with your approach either i'm usually doing a little bit of both right i'm trying to lay down yeah. some better foundational work but i'm also not going to completely neglect the gut because especially yeah you know
0: i mean, didn't mean to uh, yeah I, yeah I'm pl- I, like i like often i'll give a homeopathic in the first uh visit to just to address maybe some uh, really uh common sort of perception issues or trauma like types of traumas or like mm-hmm. um you know, just when the when the picture is clear for the homeopathic, sometimes I will do that too, because it's like cheating when it works.
1: That's where you shine though. You you shine in the sense that you have a really um beautiful understanding of the homeopathics and that energetic shift in people works on that stress resiliency, mental, emotional, that kind of stuff. Um, I don't I don't have that gift. I never built up my homeopathic muscle so much like you did. And also you have the palpation side of things where it's having that direct contact and communication with the gut and the organs in there that I have not acquired through extra educational purposes so I mean I would actually be really curious to see how you begin to or understand how you begin to address it from even more of a palpation side of things because I don't think you take the same approach as I do when it comes to IBS if I'm not mistaken
0: no I I, I guess maybe I don't I, I would think that mine's a little bit different just because I went and did a little um okay so let, let's rewind a little bit and, and <laughs> nah, <laughs> that, that's another reason why you're on the show those are good little things that you do anyway um the perception of IBS if you look at like the definition of it let me uh, let me just put like IBS definition I, I think what you'll see is that they call it a functional bowel disorder um and where do we go for our definition uh well I guess we'll go with with Google. Um, but like it used to be called, I guess, like spastic colon, spastic bowel, which mm-hmm. I I wonder if that would even be uh, a better <laughs> kind of descriptive word. Um, oh, here it says is a functional gastrointestinal disorder. This is on Wikipedia, which also says naturopathic medicine is quackery. Yeah. Um, so anyways, I'll just sort of pick what I want to get from Wikipedia here. It says it's a functional gastrointestinal disorder. So um very interesting that they call it that because like I was I was telling you um <laughs> this is funny like it doesn't make any sense they say it involves visceral hypersensitivity well that's what I work with with palpation and motility disturbances like sorry those are not functional those are uh sort of pathological physiological anatomical structural mm-hmm. issues so when we look at IBS by the definition that is commonly accepted as a functional meaning we don't know what the hell i guess is going on from a structural perspective i just i immediately go well i disagree because i've treated a lot of people with ibs if you want to call it that and felt and palpated problems say with like like you said the ileocecal valve very common one or like the sphincter of voti or whatever it's you know if if these sphincters and and junctions don't if they don't like conduct the juices, the contents of the bowel, to me, that's not just a functional problem. That's like a physical issue. So Mm -hmm. yeah, maybe that's why I I don't agree. I think that's part of my new uh, view of IBS. It's like, Mm. I don't think it's functional. I think it's, yeah, you can have function, but function is often related to structure, which is the whole study of histology, structure, function, function, structure. A wheel is round to do what it does.
1: Your face right now is fantastic when you got really into that moment.
0: <laughs> I get, you know, I get, I get passionate about it because that's yeah. why I took that Burrell visceral course is because I knew there was a way to touch the bowel, like the bowels, the the contents. You know what it's like. You, you you know some freaks in some other areas, right? That I don't have, You, I know you referenced a couple of them when we've chatted on and off the air. And there's just freaks out there that are really, there's always someone who's figured Very, very little stuff is like brand new discovered There's usually someone who's sort of done it. And if you keep looking, you can usually find and that's what I that's what I did. I was like, there's got to be someone who knows how to properly assess the structures of those jiggly hidden bowels.
1: And God bless no. the people who, uh, well, I mean, like affectionately you're calling them freaks. Cause it's just kind of like, they think outside the box, they do things yeah. differently. And it's not according to quote unquote, the textbooks and the regulations and the clinical studies, yeah. but like they get clinical outcomes with oh, longstanding yeah. results that are quite positive because they chose to think outside the box. Cause yes. if we all stay coloring inside the lines all the time, like, what is, was it the definition of the Einstein's definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Yeah, and it's yeah, like, exactly. at some point you have to start trying something different.
0: Yeah. There's a place for it. Right. Yeah. Even just the analogy of walking. I like, you know, like you got one foot on the ground, but that other foot is up in the air and it's like technically sort of falling. Right. So you got one foot on the ground. That's, 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 I use that as an analogy for how I like to work. You get a little bit grounded and then get ready to take a step. And it's a little bit unknown, I guess, compared to just sitting there with both yep. feet on the ground. You aren't going to go anywhere.
1: Yeah. Totally. Um,
0: but we, we talked a little bit. And I'd like you to maybe comment because I, I hogged, I hogged the mic about the visceral manipulation and oh, the Browel like Institute. Um, we, we talked about before we got recording uh, like clinical outcomes. Do you want to sort of bring that in? And you sort of alluded to it there with what you were saying, but like how you use clinical outcomes as a way of measuring some kinds of success or things that are true.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, same thing with the idea, like you had me on the podcast, talk about parasites. I'm ruling that out when people come in for IBS, you know, you Mm -hmm. are going to have microbial issues in addition to this. Um, and I'm going to have people try the baking soda challenge and things that aren't necessarily seen as like, oh my God, diagnostic. And I was like, well, might be not. I might not be diagnostic, but it can start to lead me down the right direction. Yeah. Narrow
0: things down for sure. Why
1: not? Is it yeah. going to hurt them? Not at all. Right? right. So, um, you know, I might have people check their stomach acid in a rudimentary way like that. I'm going to palpate their abdomen. I'm going to check the valves. I'm going to check around the gallbladder. I'm going to check around the pyloric sphincter and check around the ileocecal valve. Cause according to my palpation skills, that's what I can handle. Cause I don't have, I haven't taken those courses like you do. And I'm, you know, those I'm are a little, key
0: money though. What you're doing. P- yeah. Pylorus and ileocecal valve key money.
1: Yeah. And I, and I think I even began to implement that based on our discussions because you hammered that in and I already understood the significance of them, but um, I wasn't applying it as much. So now when I do an abdominal exam, I'm always going in. So doing regular palpation and then getting in on those and seeing what people's reactions are, right? And and a lot of times people feel like crap in those areas, right? They're yeah. like, "Ooh, that's that's different from your previous sense mm-hmm. of touch." And I'm like, "Yeah, okay, I'm making a note of that one." Yeah, and I'm sending sure. them home with how to do a release, a valve release so they can do it at home or we're doing castor oil packs and you know, there's there's you know, there's a lot of different ways to approach this. There is no one size fits all and like you said, you have to work with the person even from a stress resiliency place. Now, that being said, I am looking at food sensitivities. I am looking at microbial issues. I am looking at stress. We're working on making sure all the moving parts are good. But I think, sure, SIBO is a huge overlap with IBS, Um, but once that microbiome is once you've, once you've kicked out, I guess, some more of the pathogenic or rebalance. Cause some of it's even just opportunistic microbes that are part of who we are, like yeast and club and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Sometimes it's not even about completely kicking them out. as I show people results are like, how do we get rid of it? And I was like, we don't get rid of it. We bring it back into a state of balance. And that's mm-hmm. a very different way of doing this, that mm-hmm. we have to understand that there's a differentiation between that, but then there's still, you still have to like clean everything up after. Right. And I think a lot of times when they start to feel better, it's like the, the client falls off. And even as much as I prep them to be like, okay, well, once we finished eradication, we're not done. We have to refertilize the area. We have to improve the terrain. We have to strengthen digestive function. You still have to keep up with the stuff to calm your nervous system so that your, your digestive system gets the right messages and cues for optimal digestion. Right. Um, work on stomach acid, work on liver, gallbladder, make sure you continue to poop. Right. And, and, and have that flesh and flow so that things don't get backed up and cause issues. And maybe it requires going to see an osteopath that does visceral work. You know, I do refer to that because that's not my focus. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do see the relevance in that too.
0: But even, you know, you're doing such a good service. If, if you feel the person's abdomen, say around that pylorus area or the ileocecal valve and you go, you touch that area and there's something very different feedback is very different from the patient that you've already done so much good for them when you refer them on right you've you've already narrowed it down to some major contributing factor and I think we talked about this before you don't always know what is the the one moving piece, but you there's a few big ones and and if you refer someone on for for that, it's a big piece, really big piece. I just thought I'd say here's the Rome criteria for um oh yeah, I've i b s um, the Rome four criteria of, uh, includes recurrent abdominal pain on average at least one day per week in the last three months associated with two or more of the following uh, further cri- uh, criteria related to defecation associated with the change in frequency of stool or associated with the change in form, which is appearance of stool. So, I mean... I'd say most people I see are in much worse state than uh, one day per week in the last three months. I don't yeah. know about what you.
1: Yeah, the Rome criteria is kind of like okay, well that's cool, but usually people are suffering every day. Yeah, All exactly. Day. Bloating is astronomically affecting their quality of life on a re- daily basis. Yeah, um, and it's usually bloating I find. Like people, I I have people come in. I had this one guy come in and he was coming in for, oh my gosh, what was his major concern? But then he was like, and then I realized that maybe my poops aren't healthy. He was like, and the only reason I knew that, he's like, because I was looking for a Georgetown clinic. They recommended, somebody recommended this clinic. And I looked at your video on your website and you started discussing- normal poops and stuff and he's like and i just re- and i realized i was like oh maybe my poops aren't normal because his poops mm-hmm. were super runny and mm-hmm. he just assumed that was normal for him
0: i've had a few and like a lot that.
1: of a lot of people just don't but bloating bloating for sure people don't like that and they haven't yeah because
0: they have yeah, the visceral sensitivity is nasty when you yeah. when you feel uncomfortable in there
1: yeah so i find yeah. bloating really gets people in the door and then a lot of people have yeah. a, a big it's disconnect pretty, with, yeah
0: like say you've had loose stools like that guy most of your life you might just go okay I don't, I guess I have looser stools I or I have this, that's the way my stool is. Okay. Whatever. Mm -hmm. But when you have bloating, I think most more people perhaps would have an innate understanding that that's not normal. Plus it's accompanied with pain probably. So
1: major discomfort. Yeah. Yeah. Take it firsthand. When I looked like I was like three to four months pregnant by the end of the night and just like writhing in pain. Right. It's not fun. It's not fun.
0: Okay, so let's let's talk about um, some interventions and stuff that we were sort of alluding to when we when we chatted uh, uh, before we start recording, like about prebiotics, probiotics, um, which is one uh, probiotics. I'll just let me just say right away, it's one area in which I am a dissenting naturopath. So um, <laughs> we <wait>, maybe let Michelle, <laughs> she can handle that one. But like prebiotics, probiotics, fiber, colon, food. Uh, in terms of like an- interventions, I mean, obviously we can say, Michelle, yes, we treat the person. So if there's a gallbladder issue, we treat that, blah, blah, blah. But like, what are some of the m- sort of, let's just give the people some easy, low-hanging fruit stuff that sometimes you find yourself prescribing on a regular.
1: Um, well, first of all, I used to. Be the person that would often, I was like that typical textbook naturopath as predicted, often giving a probiotic within the first couple of visits. Mm-hmm. Now, I almost never give a probiotic at the onset, unless right. it's very spe- case specific, right? Usually I'm working on bringing down the microbial growth that's pathogenic. And then we work on fertilizing the neighborhood after to help the other ones thrive the good guys mm-hmm. thrive um i find my choice in probiotics are always specific s is like a rock star in my mind across the board for so many different things like whether it's h pylori or even using it for dysbiosis or microbial issues post infections post traveler's diarrhea post antibiotics like and anti- like please it's s all the time and like it shines in my eyes
0: s really is the gangster shit and uh <laughs> you know, if, if, if if I'm hard up for like knowing what probiotic to give, it's, it's often hard to find a reason not to give it. There's so many, cause there's like, like you're saying all the uses for it. Um, there's so many, and it's been around for a long time. I think Mr. Boulard, the guy who named it after himself. Um, yeah, as you do. Um, I think it's been around since Boulard, uh, sort of I I would I don't want to say discovered I always feel like some of these western scientists that feel like they discover things but no they like maybe categorize things and Mm. and write about them
1: (laughs) or create gave recognition to things that already existed
0: (laughs) something like that so it was used I think it was some southeast asian uh country where they were uh you'd use this like semi-fermented fruit or whatever and it always it was stopping all these these cholera uh outbreaks it was like minimizing cholera and he's like hmm, there's something he was a microbiologist so there's something yeah. to this anyways is like in the 40s 30s or 40s so that stuff has been around a long time which means there's a lot of you know good characterized uh it's got it's well characterized in terms of what it does i was going to bring there's up good, there's
1: it, good data and research at least on it and clinical Proving, yeah and then you clinical response too then
0: you use it with your patients and you do find what, what do you so what do you find like i it's my it's my go-to for any kind of parasitosis confirmed or suspected what's what's your other uh things h pylori yeah
1: i'm using it for h pylori because a lot of people have like low-grade h pylori um and it doesn't always come up on standard testing but they still have all these GERD symptoms which Mm -hmm. could also be very much related to like the SIBO IBS stuff as well like it's all part and parcel of the same group of organs that have to work together because they all have to work together right Mm -hmm. so H. pylori is a big one Um, and like I said a lot of like post-infectious stuff if somebody has been on a buttload that's a clinical term by the way a buttload of antibiotics in their life then I'm kind of like we we we're going to have to revamp your microflora. And the cool thing about asplaritis is like it crowds out some uh, crowds out some of the bad guys so that we can enable flourishing of more of the good.
0: It's called As, pathogen more- exclusion for the real nerds out there.
1: Yay, pathogen exclusion. <laughs> so um, I have so that a, one's I good. Have
0: one of my chart um templates up here for asplaridi and here's the other <laughs> things uh antimicrobial properties so it actually <laughs> goes in and like throws some elbows. Yeah. Um and then immune modulation, and uh, and also trophic effects, meaning it helps just sort of build up the structural tissues yes. in that area. And then it's good for uh, the
1: enterocytes for that reason.
0: Yeah, it's, it, and then it increases serum IgA. So, I mean, this is a heavy hitter. It's actually a yeast, which is sort of funny, right? It's probiotic because it also
1: treats yeast. It's also good for know. candida, which is wild. People are always like, "Why am I taking yeast if I have yeast?" I'm like, ah, different type, non-pathogenic. Yeah.
0: Well and that's when strains come into because you know S. boulardia I think the, the nomenclature is supposed to be updated to S Saccharomyces cerevisiae uh, VAR like variety boulardia I think mm. so it's actually like yeah it's sacram- I think it is that the same cerevisiae is the same as baker's yeast I think it's just yeah. a special yeah, yeah, yeah. strain yeah and baker's- that's why I'm with Michelle and I didn't know you were so sort of um anal let's say with your application Pun intended. <laughs> with your pla- your application of uh probiotics because i am too because uh we know now didn't i didn't learn this in school i i, I don't know if, i don't think we did learn it in school no like, it was strain like brain specific for everyone. Yeah, exactly it's
1: like oprah you get make one. it rain
0: with probiotics <laughs> yeah so, so yeah like but now we know they're strain specific and i want people to know that whether they're um uh patients or or younger practitioners you need to know that the efficacy of a probiotic is going to be strain specific that doesn't mean that other strains won't work Mm -hmm. um but you know that when we extrapolate studies that are done with a specific strain if we're gonna this is more like nerdy left brain dave talking um then we have to be very very careful that we know the strain that we're using for and we'll say we don't get any money from them so we can talk about stuff right like florist store, is yeah, the i'm not S-B-Lardi. getting no kickback <laughs> i pay for this podcast are you kidding <laughs> um the uh s s actually we get we get a wonderful sponsorship from CytoMatrix to make things happen
1: yeah CytoMatrix is pretty bomb i actually really enjoy their probiotics If if i am going to be fair and i'm not getting any kickback for saying that
0: yeah yeah they're just they're just good um Anyway, Why was I bringing that? Oh yeah, Florastor. Florastor. I do, I do. You and I have this on my. I give people options. <laughs> I say, look, there's different strains available. Espulardi SAP by NFH is one that I use. Yeah. Um, and then because I because I have it in the clinic and it's right there and That's it's my go-to. probably better than not using Espulardi. But then I I give people the option to get Florastor at the pharmacy, um, because there's better research to support it for specific interventions. So right. uh, it's interesting to see what people choose. I, because I, I give them that option. Yeah. And uh, some choose one, some choose the other.
1: I usually just go with the Nfh one because I find, honestly, it really does the job. It really does. Although I haven't really used a lot of flora stores, so I'm going to look into that one a little bit more. Um, but I find a lot of clients also just want ease of purchase. And yeah, at my exactly. clinic, it's at there. my clinic, we have what we need. And at my Etobicoke clinic, we do things on full script, and that's the one that I'm going to go to if I'm going to choose. Yeah. Um, and s um, and even with like regular probiotics, I mean, there are some pe- that people that love, um, I don't really, I don't give them out. A, I don't give them out like I used to, that's for sure. Same. Um, it's, it's case specific. Like if somebody just finished a round of antibiotics, there is research to show that giving high, higher potency, multi-strain probiotics improves their recovery and creates less long-term damaging consequences from the use of an antibiotic so i do use them and typically i'm using a multi-strain like multi-strain 50 from cytomatrix but i always pair it with an s because that 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 s she's the tits man
0: wow you can say that i can yeah <laughs> i'll stick with it's the gangster shit yeah um,
1: it's it's so great. It really is it's so great
0: yeah, uh there's probably some real benefit from using a, a couple of these uh things together. Um, but again, with the re- if you start to go down that sort of real left brain research stuff, <coughs> we need to know more. Uh the other probiotic I have two other ones I use a lot. Mm. Uh the other one that I use very easy sort of indication is renadil, and I use it for renal conditions. So because mm. it's so cool because the little bug it eats, uh it eats basically urea end products uh cool. sort of like yeah so anything that sort of injures those those ammonia derived um you know ammonia detoxification so like urea cycle all that sort of stuff those things that hammer the shit out of the kidney this probiotic eats them
1: dope isn't that bug. so cool <laughs> that's <laughs> a dope that's, little bug
0: it is so i mean they all do that they all have that sort of they eat you know, I'll eat yeah. this, then they crap out whatever they, their metabolic end product, then another bug eats its crap. And then.
1: Right. And that's, and that's why we are happy... an ecosystem and not a singular bug. Exactly. <laughs> Cause there always has to be something to clean something else up.
0: Exactly. <laughs> Even though one
1: thing did a good deed, there's still a metabolic end product that
0: still needs to be. Cleaned yeah, it's like up an by economy. Yeah. It's a little economy down there. And then what's the other one I use? Oh, this biome. I use this biome when someone's got pretty horrific IBD. Right, and, like uh, a Crohn's colitis, and yes, yeah. exactly. Exactly, I find yeah. it helpful. And then I also, some people, when they want, like, they're like, give me the hardest hitting stuff you have, I give them this biome,
1: this biome yeah. more than the v- VSL. They changed
0: this biome guy got in a tiffy with uh, with uh, VSL people, and um, anyway, now this mm. VSL3 became this biome. <clears throat> nope, good to yeah. know. I
1: don't think I ever, I don't think I've uh, I funnily enough don't get a lot of IBD. So I haven't had to like reach for that.
0: Yeah. Well, I also hate prescribing it because it's like, uh, it's like a hundred bucks for 30.
1: Yeah. It's expensive. It's
0: it's expensive. But yeah, I do think sometimes you get what you pay for. Uh, Sometimes maybe it's not every, everything is like that, but it often is. Uh, And I I would say this biome is like that for me when I need a hard hitting, like maybe a post infectious, like your post infectious uh, issue, like what you're talking about with the antibiotics.
1: And I do appreciate the whole "you get what you pay for" because there's so many people that come in with "I got this from Costco," "I got this," and I'm kind of like, and then I'm looking at the quality, and or they're like, "I got it from Shoppers Drug Mart," or it's a prescription version or something like that, and in my mind, I'm always like let's up, like, let pharmaceutical companies excel at pharmaceuticals, let supplement companies excel at supplements. Cause there's a big difference. Cause you know, I find that the supplements get the shitty end of the stick. If it's made by a pharmaceutical company, there's like red di- red dye and talc and titanium yeah, can, dioxide and can poor quality vitamins. Way. And sometimes I'm kind of like, Ooh, um, although things like Floristore are great. Exactly. Um, it's I owned don't, by big I pharma. Find but I find that those are far and few between those, those shining products, unfortunately. Yeah.
0: No, I ha- I have to agree. Uh, like I, I remember buying my grandma some fish oil and I, I got it from like mm-hmm. whatever from the pharmacy and I opened it up. It smelled like shit. It was, it was ranted. Like, oh. so now we don't have like a, we don't have an effective product. We actually have a product that is going to contribute to like, you know uh lipid peroxidation and make things way worse you know it smells like crap too but you know more importantly it's it's horrible for you to take so never take your fish oils if they smell like uh please don't um, and old fish yeah
1: um back to probiotics now we had a call we discussed this we both have a love of fiber yep and we both think that psyllium is sexy um (laughs) but we were talking about probiotics, probiotics have a a time and a place, but I think a lot of people have been misled, especially over the last decade when probiotics and the gut bacteria and microbiomes and all that kind of stuff, it's been like on the forefront and probiotics were just like coming off the shelves, like wildfire. And yes, they helped a lot of people because a lot of people probably did have a lot of disruption of their microbiome, but I don't think people, the public typically understands that they're transient and you still have to learn how to create an environment that fosters the growth and proliferation of said microbes that we want to work on our behalf. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I just set that up for you, Dave, take it away.
0: You did. Wow. And, and very dramatic. It's too bad. The listeners, people who are only listening, didn't see the, the great body positioning you did when this. So thank you for setting me up like that. Yeah. Thank the fiber, the fiber, it got to make, make psyllium great again. I did an episode on it um, just on my own. And I, I think like you're saying Michelle it's the most overrated it's the most overrated underutilized intervention as a viscous fiber because not all fibers are the same the physical chemical properties of a viscous fiber are very different than those of say a prebiotic fiber and I don't know if it's because like big pharma bought metamucil that (laughs) like there's two ways to look at that (laughs) you could be like offended or whatever like a lot of naturopaths, we get easily offended yeah uh, we're very touchy we're very touchy about these things or you could go holy shit big pharma bought psyllium <laughs> uh, holy shit probably pun something <laughs> there's probably something to it yeah you know yeah. there's a reason so so yeah psyllium is i use it in cases of um uh, constipation or diarrhea or mixed, uh, because it's a bowel regulator. And that's what Michelle was getting, uh, getting to is like a probiotics kind of be like, it's going to do this thing, but still you got to, you got to create the environment for success, the environment of the lumen of like the inner part of your uh, colon. And, and the things that fiber does, it's way beyond crafting an an enviable stool. Like, Oh, a hundred percent it's so much more like you could talk about butyrate and then do your, you know, there's people who have their PhD, I'm sure in butyric acid and all the things that it does. So you're going to have effects on the brain, cancer resilience, and all this from taking Metamucil of all immune things, immune
1: system, inflammation, nutrient absorption, production of vitamins and nutrients, like, you know, like it's and supporting
0: the bugs that help you make those nutrients and vitamins yeah it's crazy. i mean
1: i understand sometimes in this day and age when people's microbiome has been thrown off so far to one extreme adding in like this is the typical person who has ibs the healthier i eat the worse my symptoms get that's a very that's a i i find that people like well when i try to eat vegetables i feel worse so that's why i just eat bread and meat and i'm kind of like ah okay so yeah. you can't what do you just, think of you
0: can't, okay circle back finish and then yeah. come back to that
1: you can't go in guns blazing with fiber in that yeah. particular situation, but I, but, but the end goal is to always get them to eat a more vi- fiber diverse, vegetable diverse diet. Because I did, like you say, um, psyllium. We say psyllium is sexy. I think I even did. I watched a webinar where they said making making fiber sexy again was the name of the that webinar. You would have loved that, Dave. I would. And they talked about how. The diversity of the microbiome is extremely vast. And just like us as humans, we don't all have a particular flavor for eating things and and stuff like that, or different cultures eat different kinds of foods and different vegetation from different places. Same with our microbiome. They don't all eat the same fiber. So -hmm. you do need to have a good variety of it as well to like have a flourishing, diverse microbiome as well. But you can't Mm -hmm. go in guns blazing because then you're just gonna set people's symptoms off because when bugs eat, they ferment. When they ferment, they create gas. That's the purpose of fiber. Right. But it's also just like, is there an imbalance and is the, are the bugs in the wrong place? And that's what has to be addressed first. And then the goal is always to bring these healthy fibers in. At least that's how I approach it.
0: No, that's really good. I think I want to circle back to what you were saying about the healthy, what did you say that you say it you're in your own words, the healthy foods, would you say?
1: Oh, the healthier people eat, the worse they feel, that thing. Okay,
0: so I remember a woman I had, she, uh, the a woman I had in the clinic, that sounded bad, woman I had in the clinic, she uh, said she could only eat like bread and sort of like really easily digested sweets. Mm-hmm. Like, like you're saying that the healthy foods, even if she wanted to, she felt terrible. So this, there's a couple of things I want to say from this. Number one, um, be nice to people who eat like this sort of shitty food because uh, I'm not talking to you, Michelle.
1: (laughs) No, I know. But I just I'm just laughing because I just like the way you articulate things is great. Go on. So
0: be nice to people that eat really shitty, nutrient, uh, devoid, carby, sweet things. Why? Probably because it hurts their stomach to digest anything that's challenging. And I say stomach uh, precisely not Mm. flippantly meaning your whole abdominal contents stomach as the
1: organ stomach yes got it
0: people often feel really shitty eating some healthy food and you have to be nice to them because there's a reason they're getting like a a response when they eat something that's a little bit more challenging for their digestive system well the stomach digestion so we're talking maybe protein or or some like denser fiber or something where the stomach's got to do a big job you throw some bread down there just melts so trying, easy. Stomach, stomach doesn't have to do shit, yeah. right? Stomach doesn't have to do anything. Basically just melts. Even if your pH sucks, you're just going to like melt it. Like, so it doesn't incur any sort of sensation of crappy sensation feeling, which then makes people not want to have it again because now they have an association that they've figured out. I feel really crappy when I eat that food that's healthy. Oh, that bread looks good mm, there. I feel it's like a relief. hmm. So there's that. And then the second uh, point I wanted to like pull out of that little gem that you, that you said that clinical gem was that, you know, that's a good sign to work on the stomach proper. Mm -hmm. When people can't take or upper G, like, let's say more, uh, more likely to include this, uh, um, the upper GI in Mm -hmm. in general, say the upper GI. So like stomach, liver, pancreas, gallbladder, that area. And mastication. well, yeah, of course. Yeah. And possibly, um, yeah. Cause you got to chew. I mean, I mean, yeah, I, I'll, I'll, there's another point I have to say about that, but I think I talked about it in another podcast.
1: <laughs> this is going to be a long podcast, guys. Get, I know. get ready. Oh God. Okay. <laughs> go on, go on. I love, I love your stream of thought. Keep going.
0: Okay. So yeah, this, this, uh, the stomach, those are stomach symptoms, basically is what I'm saying. And cool. so maybe double down on your treatment of the stomach, even though it looks like maybe a colon problem, say the output of stools off or gas, whatever double down on the stomach. When you, when you have that issue going on, where you have like an inability to digest foods that are say um, more fibrous or high protein meal. If someone comes to me and say, I can't digest a high protein meal and I can't digest like, you know, like a heavy fiber containing meal then, but I like some bread. I'm like, okay, we gotta, we gotta talk about your stomach. And that's where your initial part of our talk comes into with the vagus nerve because the vagus nerve is more in the upper GI. And anyway,
1: I like, I like, I like this little nugget that you just gave us, because I mean, often if people feel sluggish after eating a big protein meal, I'm always like, oh, stomach acids might not be good or churning or whatever, Mm -hmm. or pepsin and all the, all the moving parts to make the stomach work optimally. Um, but I never, I never for some reason thought about the more fibrous vegetables from a stomach acid perspective, even though logically it does fully make sense to me because the output of the stomach is going to directly affect how well the microbiome is going to be able to then feed on the undigested food particles. So I don't know why that connection, like I've always, I've always thought about how it's like fiber feeding the microbes because that's what they do. And either you have the wrong microbes or they're in the wrong place like in SIBO where there's too many in the small intestine. So you feel more of the bloating cause it's a smaller muscular tube um, and it can't contain that gas production as much. But um, thank you. Thank you for the little light switch that it's likely a stomach acid and stomach thing where the output of the stomach is now not in its best form. And then downstream effects, even though this is what I used to talked
0: about that before you said about chewing. (laughs) Totally. Right. And so I'll bring up the concept because I I like just I don't know if I'm good at like just facts, but the concept is. Although all these things are very holistically intertwined and you could call it the nerdy people will know. I'm sure Dave Nelson knows. It's a complex adaptive system that we live in. It means you can't really predict, you know, the, the motion of one thing makes a whole bunch of other stuff unpredictably happen in these really complex ways. Okay, so there is that holistic sense of complex interactions and communications between different systems. Yes. However, the intestinal sort of the gastrointestinal uh, system is a tube. It's a very, very, very linear aspect. There's a linear aspect to it. So like you were saying, if you don't chew properly, or this is why we cook, or we cut up with a knife and fork, then what happens? So we got big pieces of like sort of mushy stuff going to the stomach. The stomach's job is like massive in terms of like breaking stuff down.
1: That's where digestion actually happens it absorption happens the- in the intestines but the digestive process is actually the stomach specifically the breaking heavy down lifter. of food right it's like it's massive
0: what a heavy lifter and i i feel like it it doesn't get i mean it's so simple in a way but it needs to be understood as the major heavy lifter for the breakdown post-chewing Breakdown, Like you said, okay, you might get some, you, you'll get some enzymatic breakdown in the duodenum and, and, you know, after it comes out. But if your stomach has not done the job, you know, then um, everything downstream gets screwed up, basically. And I'm sure people can make, re- you know, a relationship to, to this in their own life when someone doesn't do their job at work, and then they get everything sort of piles back on them. It's like, well, if you'd done your job, no, this never would have happened. The stomach sets the tone for everything else. And so I heavily focus on it. Um, I
1: love the stomach.
0: Oh, yeah. what?
1: A, I mean, I love the gallbladder bladder lifter. too, but like the stomach is pretty wild. And it's funny, I was doing my IBS program and I'm running it for the first time. And I just did the presentation on Tuesday about the upper GI. So we talked, so thanks, thanks for just tying this all in, but we talked about the mouth and the importance of chewing and what the esophagus does, but then the heavy lifting of the stomach. And it was primarily focused on that, but it also goes back to even before chewing, even before chewing the cephalic phase of gastric, like gastric juices, it's looking at your food, seeing food, thinking about food. It's like Pavlov's dog, seeing food, smelling the food. And that already begins to send messages to um, the digestive tract to begin to prepare for food. So Mm -hmm. if you're eating on the go, if you're eating in the run, and if you're Mm -hmm. not like, this is where the lost art of cooking your own food is very helpful because you begin to smell all those things and it starts to 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 start get the to get the nervous system and the in the digestive juices flowing because of the idea, the thought, the smell of food that's already coming from the kitchen while you're prepping. Yeah. Um. And a lot of people get takeout these days and Uber I was just Eats. Just thinking
0: that you're not getting that at the drive-through.
1: Right. So yeah. Yeah. But so so all of the all those moves. So back to IBS, all of these moving parts have to be in place. So like you said, like sure, it's it's functional breakdown, but why? We still have to ask the question as to why there's been a functional breakdown. Is it psychological? Is it pathophilic? Is it like, is it path pathological? Am I using the right words? I feel like well, I'm having I, like I a
0: say anatomical right structural, anatomical sometimes.
1: structural is it nervous system response is it's likely yeah. all of the above.
0: Yeah, right. Exactly. So. And then as you get to be a good clinician, you, you know where to pry things open like, like Tanya did with that woman. It was <laughs> just given ner- Nervine. nerving. Oh, <laughs> SIBO is gone I was just stressed in my guts so very interesting yeah I'll say it again if
1: you can't digest your world you can't digest your inner
0: world yeah I I want you to tell us just give us a little a brief little thing about the IBS program you're doing oh okay yeah
1: um it's right now it's designed to clearly I caught her
0: off guard with this this is just an organic shout out to Michelle's IBS program
1: (laughs) um it's a six-month program currently, but I might actually extend it because I feel like I want to give more space for people to just lay down that foundational work. Mm -hmm. Um, But we gather together once a month because it's a community-based as well in the sense that we all get to learn from each other. And I find that when people are struggling with their health issues, they often feel very alone and isolated. And when you can have a sense of community and connectedness, I think it elevates people's ability to heal, just like the stress factor. If you are feeling like loneliness is such a limiting factor to healing right so um people's psychological well-being can be lifted by knowing like their strength and numbers and 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 they can support each other and there's communication between the monthly check-ins um so that there's i don't know we can be each other's cheerleaders um so that's part the promise of the program but it's also a treatment-based program um so it's not just educational so we have set it up in a way that there's charting for everyone. There's ways for clients to check in and, um, rate the progress of their symptoms between each of these monthly groups. And I have charts, send them individualized treatment plans based on test results or what they're experiencing. And then every single time we get together, there's an educational component too. So, the first day was all about stress and how to start managing stress resiliency. The second day was about balancing your plates and foods and macros and things like that. And then we did the upper GI. We're going to do liver, gallbladder, pancreas. We're going to do small intestine and the colon and the rectum. And then we're also going to talk about prebiotics and how to like tie everything up to make sure there's a sustainability after as well with really making that environment flourish. That's kind of the, that's, that's, yeah
0: it takes a while to to talk about all these things with the patient it takes a while to sort of digest them and assimilate them (laughs) right right but it does right so that's i think it's great that you're doing that sometimes i think sometimes i get lucky and i i get a case moving real quick but a lot the the longer i'm practicing i'm thinking there's a real space for for things like this where you can sort of educate uh people for some of the stuff they can do on their own or on their own time and and then the of course the community support and and uh, all that we know that that's hugely important uh,
1: well when we're, we're, we're the, the program also includes testing for microbial stuff and microbes sometimes depending on the energetic mental emotional state of the person they don't always let go to the speed that everybody would want to happen and it means you have to pivot or reap or or change change your approach or, and then if there's parasites involved, if there's yeast involved, if there's bacteria involved and yeast, is not always easy to get rid of. And that could just very well be an underlying issue for why people are feeling the way they feel. So I want people to feel like they have the space to allow for pivoting to changing, to, 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 to give them the chance to go through this process and make it more complete versus being like, okay, well, here's a one month program. And then they like, okay, I did one month of my antimicrobials. And now I don't know where I go from mm-hmm. here. Like that's not how I want people to feel. I want them to feel like they've been properly, taken care of cool and educated so they understand like you know if they start burping again excessively after meals or if they feel heavy mm-hmm. after meals they might be like oh i don't think i'm supporting my stomach so mm-hmm. i know how to fix that now because dr michelle educated me about that right mm-hmm. i want people to be a little bit more um what's the word like no i don't want to say in control but like back in the well, driving, you're going to teach the- them how to
0: fish a little bit right, when, right. You, when you educate them a little bit if you have this symptom that symptom, hey you got to right. think about this and So they
1: they know, they know how to adjust when time, when something shifts for themselves, they know how to pivot for themselves outside of an office appointment. Cool. Yeah. I want to empower them. That's the word empower. Mm, Yeah. Nailed it. Okay.
0: Well, I, I hope everyone's, uh, enjoyed our little chat on IBS. Unfortunately, I think they may have to hear us talk about IBS again. Yeah. Like we
1: didn't, we didn't even get into like the treatment protocols. We really just got more into like the underlying factors of why things are falling apart.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But that's so important. You and I know it's that's true. so important when you actually get into practice, those things are huge. So, yeah. okay, let's, let's, uh, make the pact to do another IBS chat again. Um, yeah. and I, I think this one was really good and, and thanks for bringing your, uh, your insight, um, and, and putting up with my, uh, impassioned, impassioned sort of, uh, visceral manipulation, uh, tirades.
1: Why do you say that? Why do I say putting up? I enjoy our conversations. David. Okay
0: good. (laughs) If someone's listened this long too, I hope, I hope they've enjoyed it too. Yeah.
1: But I also, I, I think that it's, I think it's okay to have a different approach. I think it's okay to have slightly different opinions. I think that we can all learn from each other. Like you just enlightened me about something that I think inherently I knew, but I took for granted about the stomach acid and fibers and how, and like, I was like, I know that, but you just really hit it home for me. And I appreciate that. So it was a lovely conversation.
0: Well, thank you for the love in too. So that, that was, you knew all the things I already said, You just reframed them. So, okay. There's the the love in's over the podcast episode on IBS is over. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you so much, uh, Michelle, for being an awesome co-host. Yay. Okay. We'll talk to you next week.